Grace, mercy, and peace be multiplied to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me read to you a letter that no pastor ever wants to get. Dear Pastor, in reply to our church's stewardship program, my wife and I regret to inform you that, due to federal laws, state laws, county laws, corporate laws, mother-in-laws, and outlaws, we're compelled to pay a business tax, amusement tax, school tax, gas tax, light tax, water tax, sales tax, even our brains are taxed. For our own safety, we're required to carry life insurance, property insurance, liability insurance, accident insurance, tornado insurance, burglar insurance, business insurance, unemployment insurance, and fire insurance. We're inspected, expected, disrespected, rejected, dejected, examined, re-examined, informed, reformed, summoned, fined, commanded, and compelled to provide an inexhaustible supply of money for every known need, desire, government, and hope under the sun. Therefore, we cannot and will not participate in the financial ministry of the church Have a nice day, Pastor. So we're into week two. We started last week of a four-week series through November called Money Matters, talking about now for the next three weeks, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And I talked a little bit last week about why even go there, why even talk about money, because often the assumption is, and people uh, can easily be upset and offended, because the assumption is just because, like everybody else, the church just wants yours. And on the one hand, it is true that Zion's ministry happens completely and pays all of its bills because of your generosity. That's absolutely true. However, the bigger reason or the biggest reason to talk about money and stewardship and what we have is because money is spiritual. How we interact with our stuff and our money and whatever God entrusts us, those are spiritual issues. So how we spend our money, how we spend our our time, yes, and energy uh, and our money, how we spend those tell us the condition of our heart and our soul, and it tells us our attitude towards God. So money is a soul issue, and Jesus wants your soul. See, money is powerful, and it can cause us to do drastic things to get it and to keep it, and it's powerful, and it, it can threaten to own your soul, yet Jesus alone died for you. Jesus alone rose for you. Jesus alone wants to sit on the throne of your heart, and Jesus alone is infinitely generous to you. So the letter uh, that I read, did I receive that particular letter? No, I did not, but Paul did. The Apostle Paul did receive that letter, not those same words, you know what I mean. He received it. The Corinthians told Paul, no thanks. Paul asked the Corinthians to give generously to help the poor Christians in Jerusalem and they said, yeah, no, no, we're good, Paul. Thanks. Thanks for asking. We're, no, we're good. So in 2 Corinthians, one of his letters he writes to them, chapters 8 and 9, Paul has a, his most lengthy discussion in any of his letters about money in response to them. It's interesting. What does Paul tell them in response to the Corinthians saying, you know, holding the hand, saying, no, we're good? Does he bark out orders at them and and say, you ungrateful, greedy, unthankful Scrooges? He could say that. He might have wanted to, but he doesn't. What does he say? It's a verse you've seen already a few times in our liturgy today. Paul does say, he says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. Paul tells them the gospel. To their ungenerosity, to their greed, he doesn't point the finger at them. He essentially points the finger at Jesus and what he has done for them. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. That is the gospel. That Jesus was infinitely rich and became absolutely poor for you and for me. Jesus had it all, every eternal comfort and glory, and perfectly deserved, but he wanted eternity with you. Yahweh in the flesh, the God of all creation, the Lord of all, became a poor, homeless refugee for you. Jesus became destitute so that you would become rich through his poverty. The poverty of Jesus on the cross is how you become rich. Jesus was rejected so that you would always be completely accepted. Jesus was sentenced and condemned for your crimes, and you and me were acquitted. Jesus hung in darkness so you and I can live in the light. Jesus wore the crown of thorns so that he could give you his crown of glory. That's the gospel. That through the poverty of Jesus on the cross, you receive all the riches that he earned and he deserves. And when you believe that... Jesus changes you into a generous person. You and I start to loosen our grip on our stuff and on our time and on our energy and our giftings and our money. We start to loosen our grip on that, and Jesus will make you and me into generous people. When you and I believe the gospel, that's what the Holy Spirit does with us. We become generous with our time and you give to others. You become Generous with your abilities and your giftings, and you serve others. And yes, we become generous with our money, and we help others and further God's kingdom. Now, I want you to listen as I'm going to read. I'm not going to put it on the screen. I'm just going to read, and and don't look back in the bulletin. I just want you to listen. Close your eyes if you want. I'm going to read that part from 2 Corinthians 8 today. I want you to hear certain words. I'm going to read it again, and I want you to count... How many times Paul says the word money and refers to money, gold, silver, that kind of stuff? Listen for it and count how many times. Paul says, now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave it as much as they were able, even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us also. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also the completion of this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others, for you know the grace 
of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Did you count? How many times does Paul say the word money? Zero. How many times does he say gold? Zero. How many times does he say silver, valuables, diamonds, income? Zero. What words did you hear appear more than once? Grace. Yeah. Grace, five times in there. Other words that come up, fellowship, love. He does say give, but he says give of yourselves first. And then he talks about other people, right? He, he compares, he's talking to the Corinthians, and he compares them to somebody else. Anybody catch who he compares them to? Macedonians. He compares the Corinthians and the Macedonians. So we're going to talk about them a little bit this morning. He compares the Corinthian coveting with the gospel giving of the Macedonians. So, you know me, I like to travel and go places and learn. So we're going to go to Corinth a little bit and look at them as we learn about them and the Macedonians. Corinth is a place Paul spent 18 months at as he planted a church there, and he then writes letters to them. You can see, I'm pointing back there, point up there. You can see the green dot. That's where Corinth is. That's modern-day Greece. And Corinth is on the isthmus between the Aegean and Ionian seas. Very strategic location, right? Location, location, location. Very strategic. It's a three-and-a-half-mile wide strip of land connecting the two sides. And so, very important shipping. They would put ships on rollers to get them across at times. Uh, and it took centuries to try to figure out how to put a canal through there because it was all rock and not soil but also connects the Peloponnesian Peninsula to the rest of Greece. Very strategic location, so it becomes a major port and becomes a crossroads and is economic center. It's, it's basically like New York City. Everybody wants to be there, very big, very cosmopolitan. Even in Paul's day, it had a population of upwards of 500,000. Huge for the ancient world. Very cultural, many fountains and temples. As many as 12 temples in Paul's day, the most famous to to the Aphrodite, uh, goddess of love, very big, famous temple there, theaters, you know, is very, very wealthy, huge financial center, and it is Greek culture, obviously, so Gentile, not non-Jewish, so some of the very first new converts to trust in Jesus, they're new Christians, and they're also very, very wealthy. Let me show you a few pictures of the city. So there's two parts, the high city, that's on the top of the mountain back there, the Acropolis, or high city. Lots of fortresses and temples up there, but also the main city down below where Paul would have lived and, and spent time. You can see the big road going through there. That's a side shot of the road. And you start to see, can you start to see some stalls? So as you go through the main road, those would be commerce stalls. So you can see a lot of business there. And can you see near the top of the picture some pillars, right? That's the very large temple to Apollo, close above it. There's only one, two, three, seven standing left today. There were 38 columns around that thing. Very huge, right in the center, towering over everything that happens in the city. Very religious, very, very cultural, so many things. And there you can see the stalls where Paul might have even sold tents. He was a tent maker there, very rich, very wealthy, with you know, temple right imposing there, and then behind it, the, the high city with more and more temples. Just as big 
cosmopolitan city that everybody wants to be there and very wealthy, very... But here's the thing about wealth. It often makes you want more. Money can be addicting. You can always be tempted to think that whatever I have isn't enough. I just need a little more, whatever that is. And that's what the Corinthians were doing. They were wealthy and they were addicted to it, so they just wanted a little more. And so they were very driven business people who wanted to grow their businesses and acquire more. And so Paul compares the Corinthian coveting with the gospel giving of the Macedonians. So he's in Corinth, and he talks about the, where's Macedonia? Red circle, straight up further north. So similar region, just further north. Macedonian churches, you recognize names, Philippi, Philippians, very joyful letter, talking to the people that gave generously. Thessalonica, Berea, those are all Macedonian area churches. So why does Paul highlight them? Simple answer is, they gave willingly. They gave generously, they gave willingly because of the grace of Jesus. They gave willingly to help the poor Christians that were far away in Jerusalem. And remember, these Christians in Jerusalem look different, act different, different race, different culture, different native language. There's a lot they don't share. But because they do share Jesus, that's what the grace of God motivates people to do. Now, this section isn't about Christian unity, or it isn't a section against racism, but it, it also is that on a secondary level. If you look, that's how far away they are. That's the Mediterranean Sea, the ancient world. That's how far away Macedonia is from Jerusalem. There's a lot they don't share. There's, they could have just said, uh, you know, Macedonia say, well, those Jewish people, you know, they're not as, they're not as elite, you know, as we are, as, you know, Greek people, that they're not as good as us, that, you know, it's, whatever reasons they're poor, it's their fault, you know, no, whatever, no thanks, Paul. But is that what the Macedonians do? No. They give because that's what Christians do. That's what the free grace of Jesus motivates you to do. And so they give to these people far across the ancient world to show their unity in Jesus because that's more important than skin color, culture, race, language, any of those things. God's grace moves us too then from Corinthian coveting to gospel giving and to serving others no matter what they look like and what language they speak. You see, another thing about gospel giving is also that gospel giving is sacrificial giving. And part of the time Paul spends on it is that the Macedonians weren't even the wealthy ones here. The Corinth, they were the wealthy ones, which is why he's saying, hey, look at all the things God has given you. Uh, give generously to, to the Christians in Jerusalem. They need your help. Gospel giving is sacrificial giving. I wonder how many of you, have you ever been in a situation where you gave more of yourself than you thought you had? Have you ever had a time where, where you thought, man, I, I'm done, I, I can't give any more of whatever I need to give to something, and then you somehow did it anyway? Have you ever thought you were maybe at the end of your patience, and then yet you still managed to be patient with someone you didn't think you were going to be patient with? Or have you ever completely ran out of energy, but you suddenly still had to give more. If you've run a long race or a marathon or something like that, you've probably had that feeling where I'm out of energy and yet somehow you, you kept going even when you didn't want to. 
I think parents of, of young children often feel like they're giving more than they have. No fingers pointed, right? I think often healthcare workers say that. Nurses and doctors and others and social workers often feel like they are giving more than what they have. Military families certainly often sacrifice more than they thought they had. And it's not just the one in the service, but obviously, yes, but spouses too. Having a spouse gone for a long time and single parenting and and children without mom or dad for months. Sometimes you don't realize how much you have until you have to give more than what you thought you had. Paul's saying that's what the Macedonians did with money. They gave. They gave generously. They gave sacrificially. They gave more than they thought they could. Why? Because the gospel of Jesus makes us generous people, and so they cared for other people. And God wants to make us like that too. God wants to make you and me more generous with whatever those things that God entrusts to you and me. God wants to end our Corinthian coveting and grow our gospel giving. Why? Here's the answer from God's Word. You already know it. Now say it with me. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you through His poverty might become rich. Amen.